Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. So now for something not totally, completely different. Uh, welcome, Christian, who's a gynaecologist. And we've actually asked, rather than just talk about specific gynaecological problems, uh, GPs are uh, well used to, at the moment, doing remote consultations and the challenge of doing certain specialties remotely. So Christian's going to talk about some general gynae stuff, but hopefully, uh, well, I know, not hopefully, because he's... The first slide says that about some virtual gynaecology. So uh, over to you, Christian. Uh, thank you, Nigel. And um, yes, the, the remit has been how to conduct the uh, gynaecology consultation in the current climate, climate which is uh, obviously does pose some challenges of its all of its own. I'm sure all of you have had these uh, gifs, memes, TikToks, or whatever else is. I, I would get it wrong, but my daughter tells me um, what the right term is. So. I'm afraid there are a few of these that dotted around the talk just to keep, uh, keep your attention going. <coughs> um, it's always been drummed into us from first principles of medical school that it's history first, examination, investigations and then management. And in the current climate, we're trying to do less of the examination and investigations. But if you think about it, 80%, you get 80% of what you're going to do from the history alone. And you're really using your examination and your investigations just to, to back up your, your um, initial diagnosis. Um, there are some um, incidences where a virtual consultation uh, is not uh, uh, ideal. Uh, and this is, I've taken this directly from the Royal College of Surgeons. Um, so if you do need to do a physical examination, but actually as we, we find out, um, in Guyana, you don't need to do a, a physical examination that often. Um, but uh, if the patient has a mental state that would be unsuitable for a, a virtual consultation, such as demented patients, uh, or if they're too remote uh, that they don't have the technology, or there are safeguarding concerns. So for those cases, you may need to see the patient anyway. I was asked to uh, concentrate most of the talk on menstrual disorders, uh, which is what I've done. Um, and the first principles, really, just going back to your history taking, look at the cycle, look at the cycle length. Is it regular or is it irregular? And if it is regular or irregular, is this significantly different to what it was before? And how long has this been going on? Is it just a, uh, the last month, the three months or six months? Because if a lot of patients will notice it in the last couple of months, and we all know that stress has a significant effect on the uh, hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis, and so the stress of current SARS or covid will probably have an effect, effect on it. So I always say keep a, a diary of at least three to four months before you do anything, because you're looking at trends rather than isolated uh, cycles. And that's not only just to whether or not they're, 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 when they get their period, but also if they get into menstrual bleeding, postcoital bleeding. Um, um, <clears throat> it, again, we want to see trends rather than just isolated occurrences. And then look at the severity. Uh, of the bleeding, which you'll get an idea from flow, um, how, how often they're having to change their pads, whether they've got any clots or flooding, whether they have any symptoms of anemia uh, or any other associated symptoms such as discharge, pain or vaginal irritation. Um, as well as looking at the bleeding profile, look for risk factors. Those are going to lower your, um, your threshold for referral. So if a patient is under the age of 40 with a low BMI, they're much lower risk than a patient over the age of 40 or 50 with a high BMI. Um, because a high BMI uh, is associated with unopposed estrogens from uh, adipose tissue, as is uh, uh, diabetes. 
if they're on exogenous hormones, and that could be HRT or it could be the pill, <clears throat> that will affect things. But just remember that progestogens are protective. So if someone has a marina in situ uh, and gets some irregular bleeding, it's more likely to be because of a fragile endometrium and atrophy rather than uh, due to uh, endometrial carcinoma. Obviously, medications such as tamoxifen uh, will uh, lower your threshold for referral. And it's worth looking, certainly with the unprovoked interventional and postcoital bleedings, asking about their sexual history and their smear history, which we'll, we'll look into. <clears throat> so when do you want to examine them? Really, if they mention they can feel a lump, you're going to have to examine them uh, because you want to, to decide whether you think this is a fibroid or another pelvic mass, or whether there's a suspicion of cervical cancer. Um, and that's unprovoked uh, bleeding, interventional bleeding or postcoital bleeding in someone who's got an abnormal um, or, or a non-up-to-date cervical screening history. And if they have offensive discharge, you'll think of either um, STDs, if they've had a history of a, a new sexual partner, or, uh, or um, cervical cancer, again, if, uh, if they're not up-to-date with their cervical screen. And obviously, if their bleeding is heavy and you think that they need referral urgently because of anemia and transfusion, uh, you'd look for that. So there are very few investigations that you'd need to do, um, and the current sort of um, guidelines on the management of menstrual disorders would recommend a full blood count, um, and certainly if you're suspicious of anemia. If it's unprovoked bleeding, then you may want to consider a urinary pregnancy test, which the patient could do themselves, but there's no real indication for a COAG screen or a thyroid function test unless you think that they're clinically uh, suspicious of that. Um, we see a lot of patients who have CA125s done in primary care, that's more for um, suspicious, suspicion of ovarian malignancy, so um, a new onset or sudden onset of bloating or abdominal discomfort, um, or if they feel there's a mass. And again, um, a CA125 would be helpful for that to rule out a, an ovarian malignancy. Endometrial thickness, as I see a lot of people who have an endometrial thickness done. Certainly if it's thin, it's reassuring, but if it's not thin, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, it's, it's pathological. Uh, and you, I think you probably find it quite difficult unless you've got access to scanning in your own clinics um, uh, to, to actually get a, a, an ultrasound scan for that. Uh, so this um, Pulse article is an excellent um, article and it really goes through uh, the different cases of um, unprovoked bleeding and what to do in the current COVID climate. So I've left the link, it's on the bottom of all the slides where it's related to, so you can use it as a quick access. And I think, I'll go through it as an, um, quickly, but then you can, you can resort back to it in your clinical practice just to make sure that you're, you're dotting the I's and crossing the T's. So patients who've got heavy, heavy periods, um, reassuringly, the majority of patients don't have a malignancy and you can reassure them of that. And then it's worth just jotting into your, looking into your history and noting in your, in your, in your note-taking, in your records, uh, the, those five points, the nature of the bleeding and its severity, the impact it has on the patients and whether you think that they're likely anemic or not, and what you think the likely diagnosis is. <clears throat> and if you don't think they're anemic, uh, then the, the, the usual start uh, of uh, tranexamic acid, one and a half grams, three times a day, and that's around the time of the heavy period, plus an NSAID of, of uh, your choice, and I, I tend to suggest um, methanamic acid, um, or you can take them both, and those are to be taken at the time of, of, of uh, heavy period. And then considering hormonal in, uh, intervention as well, obviously, if you're going to put a marina in, you're going to have to examine the patient anyway, so that's, uh, it's difficult to put one in down the telephone. 
um, but you can give them systemic progestogens and um, Provera or norethisterone. And we tend to say give three weeks on, one week off. Um, and, and that's just like the pill. So you'll get a breakthrough bleed on the week off when you're not on, on the progesterone. <clears throat> or they can go on the combined oral contraceptive pill if there's no contraindications. Uh, or you could consider the progesterone-only pill, uh, and that's my ad, uh, adding in, not the, uh, not, not the Pulse uh, article. But that, if, they're not, if the combined pill is contraindicated and they don't want um, progesterones, you could consider one of the progesterone-only pills. When should we see them? Well, obviously, if you think that they've got torrential bleeding and you suspect anemia and they need uh, transfusing or um, uh, an iron transfusion, then we would obviously need to see them. Or we may need to do a flushing curatage, but that would be very, very rare. Intermenstrual bleeding, similar criteria really to um, HMB. Um, look at the severity and the likely cause. Um, but again, look over whether it's a single isolated occurrence or whether it's occurred over uh, three or four cycles. <clears throat> Take a sexual history and look at their um, uh, smear uh, history because you might want to worry about uh, an STI uh, and a pregnancy risk, uh, and they can always perform a, a pregnancy test in the, in the uh, community. But they don't need to be seen face-to-face, -face, and again, you can manage it remotely. If you are suspicious that they might have a cervical cancer, uh, you would obviously want to see them. But if you think it's just an STI, you could send them a low vaginal swab that they could take themselves and send through or refer them on to the GU services. If they're on the uh, combined pill or, or hormonal contraception, then usually it's an imbalance of the estrogen and the progesterone. And um, either upping the progesterone or changing the estrogen should help or giving additional uh, uh, progesterone on top, such as Provera or norethisterone should reduce the breakthrough bleeding. Um, or if they're on the, the mini pill, double up on the dose of the mini pill. And then give that two or three cycles again to see if it changes anything. And uh, if you think that they've got a cervical cancer, so you've inspected the service and it looks suspicious, that would warrant a two week uh, referral. Uh, or if you were concerned of endometrial cancer, and those would be women over the age of 40 with persistent intermenstrual bleeding. Um, and they said for at least three consecutive months who are not using hormonal contraception. If they're using hormonal contraception, then there may be an imbalance of the hormones, so you would try changing that first before referring them up. And obviously there's the, whenever you refer up, there are the usual caveats about whether you or your household have uh, got symptoms or been in contact with people with symptoms of COVID. And then finally, postcoital bleeding. And postcoital bleeding has always been it's cervical cancer until proven otherwise. But reassure them that actually it's very unlikely if they've got an up-to-date and negative screening test. So if a patient's got to the age of 50 and they've never had an abnormal smear, their chance of having a cervical malignancy is incredibly low. Um, but it's, it's still worth doing the usual questions as we explained for intermenstrual bleeding. And similarly, arrange a face-to-face -face consultation if you're concerned that they haven't got an up-to-date cervical screening test or, or suspicion of an STI. And if you do find something that you're concerned about, that would warrant the two-week referral rule. PMB, uh, postmenopausal bleeding, that's women um, with bleeding after 12 months of amenorrhea, so they're classified as, as postmenopausal. Uh, that does have a much higher referral uh, rate because five to 10% of those will have an endometrial carcinoma. 
And so we would recommend for those patients that you just do a telephone consultation to confirm that they are postmenopausal, it hasn't been um, misguided mis uh, and they're not on HRT or anything else, uh, that it is vaginal bleeding. And if so, that we would just ask for a, a referral to the Rapid Access uh, Guiding Service, the RAGS Clinic. And they'll have a transvaginal scan to assess the endometrial thickness, plus or minus an outpatient hysteroscopy. Uh, and obviously, if you can explain to them again, the, the usual caveats about referral up to the hospital and not coming up if they have got COVID or contact with someone with COVID, and we would see them two weeks later once they self-isolate. Unscheduled bleeding on HRT, um, that's normally more due to a, an imbalance of the estrogen and the progesterone rather than a concern of um, uh, endometrial carcinoma. And so um, I won't go through this slide because it's a bit busy, but essentially it's, you would add in, as we explained with hormonal contraception, um, adding in or increasing the progesterone content or altering the estrogen content. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's very self-explanatory. If they've got a marina in, again, and as the uh, progesterone part of their HRT, they could then have estrogen, um, additional progesterone added orally on top of that. Um, when should you refer to us? Uh, to us um, if you feel, if they have had this um, bleeding and it's gone beyond six months, just despite you modifying the progesterone regime. So I would, I always use the rule of three months. So I would suggest three months they've had it. You then tried altering their, 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 their progesterone content for their HRT for three months. And if they've still got symptoms, then we would need to see. Uh, this is an excellent resource that you can um, uh, use. And the, the link is there. Uh, which is the Primary Care Women's Health Forum, and they've got a whole load of leaflets on uh, management of different um, situations um, and gynecological situations uh, in the COVID climate. Uh, there's one on how to uh, put, uh, conduct an HRT uh, consultation. It takes you through this sort of a, a toolkit and um, a flow diagram of what to ask and what to note in your GP records. And there's a very good webinar, um, which is worth watching, which will actually uh, give you some advice and guidance as well. Uh, but they've got lots of other resources there for you. But um, certainly uh, it's a, a single point of reference um, with regards to uh, women's care and COVID. And then finally, patients with um, prolapse and incontinence. Um, the British Society of Urogynecology issued some uh, guidance uh, very few cases from, are an emergency when you've got uh, a prolapse or incontinence, but urinary retention would be one. If a patient's got a prosodentia with um, ulceration, we would need to see them, but that would be an urgent referral, so we could see them uh, within a couple of weeks. And obviously, hematuria would warrant a two-week rule referral. Um, there's a lot of uh, concern about how often should you change pessaries. Um, the, the guidance is that you can delay a ring pessary uh, for three months or even up to six months. So normally ring pessaries are changed every six months. So you could delay it up to 12 months. What, what, we, have, what we did during the, the first phase was we would ring every patient who was due a ring pessary change just to check they didn't have any symptoms of unprovoked bleeding and that it was, it was, they had normal bowel and bladder function and no pain or discharge. And if that was the case, we would defer it for three months. And depending on the, the, the climate, whether we could refer it um, appropriately for another, another three months, up to six months. Gel horns, we can only defer it for three months rather than six months because of the risk of incarceration. And finally, for uh, management of incontinence, 
almost all treatments can be initiated empirically without a clinical examination. So if a patient's got symptoms of prolapse or stress incontinence, we would refer them for, for pelvic floor exercises, which can be started over telephone consultation. We would recommend weight loss because it pre predisposes to um, incontinence and prolapse. And uh, we, if you refer up to us, we can do a, we routinely triage all the, the um, referrals and do a telephone first consultation and then only bring them in for a face-to-face -face if necessary. And those with symptoms of overactive bladder, uh, again, you can start all empirical treatments and recommendations to start antimuscarinics empirically. If you are considering myrobegron, so long as you've got a normal blood pressure um, um, in your GP notes, then you can start them on myrobegron empirically and then get a review uh, BP check four weeks afterwards just to make sure that's a change. Thank you very much. I'm ready for questions. Thank you very much. Two, two quick questions. Uh, I'll combine two of them. So, um, Will, um, your 60% pulmonary fibrosis, or 20 to 60%, presumably that's looking at the cohort that's that admitted to hospital um, and have the serious complications. The ones that um, don't end up in hospital, presumably we may not be sure um, that they might not have some mild pulmonary problem, but we're not going to see it. And probably a line to that is the... Um, the coagulability is, is it known about the incidence of pulmonary embolus? So could we be seeing people at home who potentially are having PEs as a result of their COVID? Thanks. Um, yeah, I think that answering the first question, um, yes, that probably is patients who've been admitted to hospital where we recognise that the ones who are more severely unwell needing intensive care support are, are definitely the ones who are at higher risk um, of going on to develop pulmonary fibrosis. So um, the risk is much lower in those that haven't been admitted, but I still think it needs to be considered. And in patients who've got persistent symptoms, even if they were never admitted to hospital, then it might be a consideration to do a chest X-ray and refer on if concerned. Um, and I think with regards to pulmonary embolism, it's very difficult. I don't think we've got enough of an understanding at the moment as to whether um, the increased uh, coagulability was just in those patients that are admitted to hospital with a more severe illness or whether it's all patients with COVID. Um, and I think it's, again, something which just needs clinical consideration um, in a patient who remains breathless several months post um, initial illness because I think those may warrant further investigations and part of that will probably be a combination HRCT CT pulmonary angiogram. Okay thanks. Uh, Christian do we refer a patient with postcoital bleeding who's had a smear test in the last year that was normal internal examination shows an ectropion and bleeding on touch and the patient doesn't have is not on any contraception? I think if they've got a normal smear history within the last year, then the, the chance of being a malignancy is almost zero. And if, I mean, the, the recommendations that came from Pulse said you probably wouldn't even need to examine them. But if you've examined them and they've seen an ectropion, you've got your diagnosis. So I wouldn't refer up for that. I, I would just manage them um, conservatively, reassure. Um, in the olden days, we used to have acid gel. I don't know if you yeah. remember that, but we don't have it anymore. Um, but um, but you can reassure the patient, um, and I mean we can see them, but they're not going to be a priority. They would be prioritised quite low. And finally, for ring pessary change, do you look with a speculum to ensure there's no erosion? If erosions are seen, what advice about management? 
Uh, yeah, so we'd always I'd take the pessary out, just have a quick inspection, either with um, um, uh, a Sims or any, any spectrum that you can, just to check the posterior fornix, because that's usually where it rubs. Um, if you see an erosion there, leave the pessary out just for probably four to six weeks and give them um, a daily uh, vaginal estrogens, Vagifem or estriol cream. Okay, um, we've um, just run slightly over time, but can I thank Nick, Will and Christian uh, for giving up their time and giving us a really interesting insight in various aspects of COVID and gynecology. Uh, thank you everybody who is attending. We will make the slides available, uh, but I think because of the slightly sensitive nature of some of what we've got, we won't make it publicly available on our website. We'll secure it with passwords, so it's only people who approach us will um, be able to access if that's all right with you, Will, Christian and Nick. Yeah, that's fine. Thank okay, you. thank you very much and thank you all for, for joining us today. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. 